Cool. Um, well, hello. Welcome, everybody, um, to our panel, Time to Party. Um, <laughs> so my name is Annie. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm one of the co-chairs of River Valley DSA in Western Massachusetts and a member of Marxist Unity Group. And I'm going to be your host tonight. Um, all of us are here because we believe that political action can be a tool in the hands of the working class and that we as DSA members are responsible for shaping what that looks like. On the one hand, we have betrayals like Jamal Bowman's vote for Irondom funding and the majority of the squad's votes on imposing a rail worker contract, which have raised questions of principle and discipline for a lot of us in the organization. On the other hand, we have actions like Zoran Mamdani and NYC's hunger strike in solidarity with NYC taxi drivers, um, AOC's call this week for the Biden admin not to enforce a ban on abortion pills, um, and all of these other actions from our electeds that show us how powerful elected office can be in fighting the ruling class. And all of which raise thorny questions for us to determine the answers to at our national convention in August and in our day-to-day -day organizing work, and which our panelists are going to be tackling today on the state of DSA's electoral work, its relationship to the Democratic Party, and its role in broader progressive movements. Um, later, once our panelists have addressed these questions, we'll have a little time for open discussion where anyone can hop on for a two-minute remark, and then we'll move to closing remarks from our panelists. Um, so here to um, address some of these questions, we've invited five political leaders from across CSA's factional spectrum, all with a bunch of experience as electoral organizers um, and leaders in DSA, um, including Tefa Galvis, who is a current NPC member and organizing director of One Fair Wage and a labor and electoral filled cardholder of Yahtzee 115 and the Campaign Workers Guild. Um, we have Grace Mauser, who is currently the candidate recruitment chair for NYC DSA's electoral working group. Um, she's also the former co-chair and fundraising coordinator for the Brooklyn electoral working group and was deputy campaign ma manager for Jawari Dishport and has been an organizer for many New York campaigns from 2020 to 2023. We have Ben Lenz, who is the current field coordinator for the Brooklyn electoral working group and previously was the coordinator on the Secure Jobs and David Alexis campaigns. Um, we have Philip Locker, who was recently co-chair of Seattle DSA and is a member of the Reform and Revolution Caucus. He was also political director of Shamus Wants 2013 and 2015 independent city council campaigns and the spokesperson for 15 Now, which played a leading role in making Seattle the first major city to adopt a $15 minimum wage. And we have Laura Wadlin, who is currently a member of the Bread and Roses Caucus and former co-chair of Portland DSA and is the lead steward in her union at Portland Community College. Um, so we're going to start with, uh, I believe, three-minute opening statements um, from each of our panelists, starting with Tefa. Are you good to go? Sure. Is someone timing me? Can someone give me like a minute and a 30 second? I want to be respectful of people's time. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Exciting time building towards convention, uh, building towards power, building towards the future of this and our next generation. Really excited to be here. So it's so nice to see people organize and try to have conversations and um discourse around really, really, really important issues. Um, my name is Estefania. For those of you who don't know me, I go by Tafa. I've been organizing uh, for quite some time uh, in a lot of different issues, and that includes uh, Black Lives Matter, that includes um, 
wages, labor, electoral. I have had the pleasure of working with people that are in this same call, like Grace and, and Ben, uh, just really trying to figure it out, right? Like working together and, and building together, which is why we're here today. And I am so excited to really uh, be part of this conversation uh, and listen, right? Like as organizers think that we a lot of the time are like, we need to listen to the constituents, but we don't listen to each other. And so I'm really like excited today to to practice uh, a lot of listening amongst each other and continue this conversation further. Um, to me today is about thinking about uh, who are the people that we're trying to organize? Are they all going to become DSA members or are they sometimes not going to be DSA members and they're going to be DSA supporters? Uh, how do we build someone from being a DSA supporter into a DSA member, into a DSA leader? Is everyone supposed to do that or not? Is it okay that people are just supporters of DSA or not? And all of that is part of what the electoral work we do is, right? Uh, we need to understand that people are, we need to meet people where they're at. And a lot of the times people are in such difficult circumstances, they don't have the means to be able to give us everything we wish they could. And so One we need minute. to figure out how do we do that? So I really, um, when, I, when I'm here today, I'm thinking about what is a mass party? What are the scientific uh, numbers behind a powerful mass party? Uh, what is the base that we really want that to be uh, built with? And it is, DS is, is how do we make sure that DSA is at the center of whatever uh, process that takes towards. So I'm really excited to learn from everyone and to hear. And um, thank you so much for having me here today. I'm also part of the National Political Committee, which I forgot to mention. <laughs> uh, and we have a budget, guys. So with that, I pass it on to the next speaker. Well, next up, we have Philip. You ready? Yes, can you hear me all right? Hi, everyone. Um, Philip, uh, he, him. I'm uh, from the Seattle DSA and a member of the Reform and Revolution Caucus. Um, and yeah, I'm I think this, I'm excited about today's event. My starting point is that DSA is underperforming and we are in a slow motion way, punctuated by, by more rapid crises, drifting into crisis. Um, and I think there is a need for a sharp course correction. Um, and that's obviously we're talking about our electoral strategy, but, um, you know, I, I would put that in the larger framework of DSA that we have 80,000 members. Um, but what is the impact that we're having in U.S. society? Um, our elected officials, which is our which is our, you know, central, most high profile work. I think it's fair to say that's obviously it's not it's there's there's variation. But overall, I would say there's a low socialist profile or, or very often even no socialist profile, much more broadly seen as progressives rather than socialists, uh, very often working as sort of a loyal left opposition within the Democratic Party as opposed to a confrontational um, uh, approach. And in Congress, I mean, I think this, you know, the most high, high profile positions are in Congress. Um, but that's also where we, I think, have the most problems. We have our members in Congress supporting a very much being part of the Democratic caucus and not operating independently and supporting uh, most blatantly imperialist policies like uh, funding for the Iron Dome, uh, expansion of NATO, um, completely going along with Biden's quite dangerous um, Ukraine policy. Um, 
And I think in that, uh, we also have a lack of national campaigns in our organization or bigger mobilizations. <laughs> so in that One. context, I do think a sharp course correction is needed. Um, and a much stronger and more visible uh, Marxist wing uh, is needed in DSA to articulate an alternative way forward, to educate a wider cadre of DSA members who can lead DSA in a new direction. And I think some key elements of that is to fight for and, and champion and promote and build coherent cohesion around the idea that we need in our electoral work independent and confrontational stance towards obviously the Republicans, but also the Wall Street Democrats, an electoral strategy where our candidates amplify and promote DSA and our socialist policies, not the existing progressive or left-wing liberal ideas that are dominant and builds uh, movements from below. Um, that we're a campaigning movement building organization rooted in the labor movement, opposing business unionism and labor liberalism. And that we're also having a bold vision of socialism where we link the fight for concrete demands and reforms in different movements to our overriding aim of a rupture with capitalism and establishing a democratic social society and building consciousness that socialism includes many valuable um, reforms like Medicare for all but is much more than that. It's a fundamentally new social order based on the rule of working people and the oppressed. And that to do that, we need democratic public ownership of the dominant industries um, in, this, in this economy. Thank you, Philip. Um, okay, we are moving up to, oh gosh, Grace is next. Thanks so much, Annie. Hi, everyone. I'm Grace Mauser. I'm a organizer in New York City and a member of the SMC. Uh, so we're all here because we know that electoral work is a powerful tool for DSA and the broader socialist left. It's an understandable entry point to politics for almost everyone. Uh, they have built-in timelines and goals that make organizing uh, paths clearer. Victory obviously means there's a clear path to more material power for us and our movement. And even defeat means that we've engaged a lot more people with socialist politics. An electoral campaign can really effectively build a chapter, and I think we now have several successful models across the country, primarily on campaigns at the state and local level, that we should replicate across chapters. The more immediate challenge to me now is to figure out how we use the power we gain effectively to both deliver material wins to working class people and grow out our organization and movement. Um, one thing I'll highlight throughout today is the socialist in office model being used in New York City, which is far from perfect, but is the most organized attempt I know of to work with left electives, electeds to act collectively. Uh, one thing I think we should be cautious of as we uh, tackle these challenges is over dictating the terms of a given campaign or legislative office. I've worked with more than 20 campaigns in New York. Even districts that literally border each other have radically different tactical and messaging needs based on demographics, opponents, the candidate, and more. Dictates from a national or even citywide bird eye, uh, eagle eye level risk painting over the differences between campaigns. A candidate in Brooklyn and a candidate in Oakland cannot and should not look the same, and their campaign shouldn't either. Uh, so to me, this means if we do enact these dictates, it will either mean, one, we want we run overall fewer campaigns and sacrifice our ability to grow our power, 
Or two, campaigns continue to run under such a dictate, but necessarily flout some of the rules we put on them as new challenges arise, making our organization look ineffectual and possibly weakening our ability to organize a future elected if they win their race. One minute. To close um, the opening, I'll say that I believe electoral campaigns are a powerful tool to get what we actually care about, material goods and increased power for the working class and poor. A campaign, even when it loses, can strengthen a chapter by bringing in more members and helping existing organizers hone valuable skills. But when we do win, we have to know that having a DSA elected is nearly useless if they aren't using their legislative power, district services, and platform to help us actually achieve our real goals on housing, unions, healthcare, and more. Winning an office isn't the, the end of the journey, so to say. Um, but all that to say, elected officials, I think we all know, are not going to solve our problems for us. They have to be actively organized and worked with as comrades and so that we can use the power of their offices in our larger fights. Thanks. Great timing. Um, thank you, Grace. Next up, we have Ben, I believe. Cool. Um, one sec. Uh, so I want to start with a quick story about the first time I met Grace. Uh, after a few brief intros and mentioning I was a field lead on the Brandon campaign, uh, she asked me a classic organizing question. So what, so what brought you here? Uh, my answer in summary was the following. Uh, I'm here because in the last few years, I've moved from being a Crickman Democrat to a committed Marxist. I'm here because seeing AOC and Julia Salazar um, wins are the first real possibility I've seen for making those politics happen. It gave me real hope for the world after Bernie. I'm also here because I've read some theory and I don't think it's possible to win socialism by just electing good people and passing good policies. We need to bring AOC more tightly under our banner and build a real left, a left party ready to go to the end. I'm finally here because my dad was a local campaign manager for most of my childhood on grassroots reform campaigns and taught me from a very young age that campaigns have a hell of a lot more people with ideas than people who will execute on them. So if I wanted mine to be treated seriously, the best way to do it would be a top-notch volunteer. Now, obviously, three electoral campaigns later and a good amount more, a good amount more reading under my belt, my thoughts have not stayed static. Today, I would have said socialist party, not a left party. The truth of the allegation that DSA is reformist is that our electoral strategy has often tried to model itself on the, on the Nordic model. This strategy envisions a growing list of reforms slowly undermining the hold of capital over the economy and moving towards socialism one reform at a time. Even if inadequate on general grounds, in conditions like those of the 50s and the 60s with liberty standards rising and productivity along with productivity and profit, why not try for that? Um, you look like a crank if you don't. The conditions today are not those, and I think we can all agree the next 50 years are going to be very, very challenging, from climate change to the rise of the global right to the coming collapse of the U.S. hegemony. Under those kinds of stressors and, uh, and a U.S. legal system designed to repress popular democracy under the best of circumstances, I find it hard to see how anyone, be they Christ, Lenin, or even His Holiness Bernie Sanders, could navigate governing this era without coming out looking like snakes in the eyes of working people. But my, point as bluntly as oh, oh. but my point is bluntly as possible, if we try to copy Lula's strategy of class collaboration as the world collapses around us, we will fail. Um, to be concrete, 
I do not want DSA as a whole getting caught holding the bag of the ungovernable mess that is being the mayor of New York City. When most of us, uh, when most of its funding is coming from the state and federal governments, which will be doing their best to make us fail. Uh, we've seen dozens of examples from this, from like people to de Blasio, to going back to the SP day after the, uh, after the First World War. Um, I, I, I don't, if I have more time, I guess I grant it. You're almost at time. <laughs> Cool. Um, and finally, Laura. Laura is yours. Hello, everyone. Um, I want to touch on two big questions that I think really get to the heart of our philosophical differences within DSA on electoral strategy. The first one is, why do we run people for office in the first place? What is the point? And I don't say that as an anti-electoralist. Like, I believe it's a good tool, as was previously said. Um, but is the purpose in running people for office to get in office and when we're there, we govern, we legislate, we're putting forward uh, ameliorative reforms. Is that the purpose or is the purpose of running people for office to organize? Are we trying to be organizers in chief, like Bernie said? Are we trying to raise consciousness, raise the socialist banner? And my answer to that is sort of both, but mostly to organize. That is our primary goal in running people for, for office, to raise the socialist banner. And I remember the first time Bernie said that he was a, uh, that he was not a capitalist on TV when I was watching it. And that like blew my mind. I thought, holy crap, is that legal? Can you, can you say that on national television? And that was a big awakening for me personally. And so if, the, if our goal is to govern, then we're going to avoid agitating in a way that could hurt relationships with fellow legislators. We might avoid saying on national television that we're not capitalists. Um, and I think it was telling that in New York City, there were electeds like Farrah Forrest and Marcella Matanes uh, in the New York City Assembly that made videos to campaign against the 1234 proposal that my caucus, Brandon Roses, put forward. This was a resolution that would have encouraged DSA candidates to identify as democratic socialists and coordinate more closely as a bloc. Um, but the DSA members already in the assembly argued that it would hurt their ability to make relationships with other, with other legislators and act as individuals. Um, and I disagree with that approach. And I certainly think we should try to harness the power of the state to our benefit, but some DSA members believe that if we win seats and pass legislation that benefits the working class, then they will come to our side. And that can happen, but it's not our best bet. We need to ask ourselves, wow. uh, why is it that uh, we are all DSA members here? Is it because Bernie passed Medicare for all and you know our lives are better since his 2016 run? In most cases, no. I'm here because Bernie gave me something to live for, something to fight for. The other big question is, how do we fight the right? Do we have an obligation to fight liberals, uh, even if it might risk a short-term win for the right wing? And I think that there's a confusion about being marginal and being agitational. Um, we want to recognize that defeating Republicans is not our number one priority, and that a defeat for Democrats is not necessarily a defeat for democracy. And if we liquidate our movement, then the right wing will win in the long run. And so these two questions for me uh, guide all my other answers to the questions of building a party and uh, how do we use the office and what is the relationship between DSA and electeds? Oh yeah, thank you everyone.
Um, so next up, we are going to have our panelists address um, a couple key questions related to all of these issues that they've all spoken to in their opening statements. Um, I'm also being told to let folks know that um, if you have any questions or things that you want to express, just keep in mind that after these remarks, we are going to have a 15-minute open comment period where as many people as we're able to squeeze in will be able to make two-minute remarks. Um, so first up for our questions, um, we are asking panelists to answer, what is the state of DSA's electoral work today? What are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? And are there any particular trends to monitor going forward? Um, and this time, sorry to make you speak even more, we are going to start with Laura. Awesome, thank you. Um, okay, so, <clears throat> uh, the strengths of DSA's electoral work are that we are able to win elections when we, you know, put effort into it. It, it. In there are many races across the country that if you have a, you know, fairly decently sized base of people who care about something, yeah, you can win a lot of elections and you can even win them with socialist messaging. That's that's really good news. Um, but there are a lot of weaknesses that we really need to urgently address. Um, the biggest one is that people uh, run for office with the expectation that we will be able to win reforms in the short term and that we will be able to do so by uh, having a coalition between socialists and progressives and even center centrist liberals where we are not agitating against the center. And people had different expectations about what is the relationship between uh, electeds and the organization. and. Uh, we can still establish that relationship in some cases, but in other cases, I fear that that window of opportunity has really passed us, as we've seen uh, by uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's recent remarks about her feelings about the Democratic Party. Um, some, more, some other weaknesses we urgently need to address are that, unfortunately, even though we are winning races, our candidates are being integrated into establishment Democratic Party politics faster than we're able to elect people. Even AOC herself says that she no longer see her, sees herself as antagonistic to Democratic Party leadership. And so the big question is, are we going to be an independent organization at all? Can we move uh, backwards even to an insurgent stance that Bernie and 2018 AOC had and that was so important in growing DSA. I'd also say another weakness is the lack of a labor connection in our electoral work and a tension, uh, a, a, a tension between our electoral strategy and our labor strategy. If our labor strategy involves organizing rank and file members to have shop floor power, one minute. Then we're necessarily going to run into problems with making relationships with current legislators. An example that I've brought up many times and I will continue to because it, it is such a good example of this problem is with Julia Salazar in New York City. She took money from a hospital CEO and that was very upsetting to rank and file militant union nurses. And how can we square the strategies of having rank and file power and agitating against the establishment when we are making friends with the establishment in order to pass reforms. These two things are, are not reconcilable. And if our electoral strategy is pushing away militant unionists who have experience 
actually challenging capital at the point of production and organizing other working class people, if we're repelling those people because of our strategy, then we really need to rethink our strategy. Awesome. Next up, we have Grace. And I've put the question in the chat um, again in case anyone needs to refer back to it. Floor is yours, Grace. Thank you. Actually, sorry, I'm going to set up my little timer real quick. Um, okay. Um, yes. Okay. Big question. So I think we all recognize that DSA and the broader left in the U.S. are in a fundamentally more powerful position than we have been in 100 years uh, because, in large part, our electoral successes in the last 10 years, not solely, but that's a big part of it. So a lot of strengths um, that I'll touch on briefly, uh, electoral campaigns, like I said before, are a great way to engage people in, outside of DSA about socialist politics and sharpen our own organizing skills um, in a, in a project with a clear goal and timeline. Um, it also strengthens our ability to pass legislation that makes people's lives better and gives us a platform to talk about socialism generally. And I don't think we should dismiss the ability to like make people's lives better in New York, we're on the cusp of passing broader rent stabilization. Those material wins actually really matter to um, hundreds of thousands of people. There are weaknesses, though. Um, I don't think we're very good at considering the consequences of our own success, uh, namely actually having an elected official in office. Working with and organizing an elected official is really hard, even when they're cadre. Uh, legislatures are really alienating places, um, and the, the legislators who are not connected to party leadership usually aren't given resources that they need to actually robustly staff and source their offices. These people, the elected officials we put into office, have a concrete job to do, and they're immediately going to hear from a million different people. Um, and figuring out how DSA can be their primary source of support is really hard. Uh, this increases the higher an office is, which is why I really think, um, and the NEC recommended this in 2021, that we should focus on state and local races. And, and One minute take our attention away more or less from congressional and executive level races. Um, I want to highlight a big opportunity we have with SIO is our opportunity we have in our elected uh, work as well. So the socialist in office model that we're using in New York is far from perfect, but it's only two years old and already the most organized group of left electeds in the country. This is a way that we can handle the consequences of our success. This group meets regularly with DSA organizers um, and they strategize on how both to organize themselves and their colleagues in the legislature and uh, their constituents and interest groups in the districts. Elected officials have finite resources and time and they can't do everything all at once. They can't weigh in on everything effectively. So we have to organize them just as we do any other comrade to direct their resources effectively and in ways that would help DSA achieve our overall priorities. Cool, next up we have Ben. Hey, um, sorry, give me one sec. I'm also turning on my timer. Okay. Um, 
let's take a second here. We have a credible, scalable socialist electoral project, and I have a lot of critiques of it, but that's crazy and hasn't happened in 100 years. I, I agree with Grace when she says that. Um, one of the things I love the most about it is that we did it ourselves. Um, what places like New York, Chicago, Minneapolis, and D.C. prove is that we can do this across the country. Um, and, uh, and we can do it with the support of independent working class institutions like tenants unions that were critical in our early successes here in New York. I emphasize that we did it ourselves because it's often taken for granted that DSA's electoral program is House the Democrat Collaboration Bill. That's certainly how it's been debated. But from the very beginning, NYC's electoral program has focused centrally on our independence, even when we considered endorsing campaigns not under direct management. In the past, such as Elliot Team or Bernie, this has been done under direction of DSA members, not the campaign staff. We have emphasized this because campaigns outside of our organization are highly undemocratic and damage our members by hoarding skills like turf cutting, palm strategy, and fundraising that our volunteers can and have learned by doing. Those skills build our ability to contest elections and build our capacity for independent action, regardless of what strategic decision we, we uh, decide to go on, uh, go do next. This development of capacity is what we will need if we seek to strike out on our own and form an independent course from the Democratic Party. I can recall a time two years ago when the need for, uh, for, the need for independent capacity was universally agreed on, uh, as far as I can tell. Worryingly, I see this consensus shifting and allowing our organization to be changed to accommodate the broad left coalition with groups like the WFP and large undemocratic unions hostile to the most important radical edges of our agenda. In proof of that, look at the controversy around 1234, which was modeled not on the clean break, not on the dirty, not even the party party, but just the party surrogate. What is happening to our conceptions of ourselves when even that's a bridge too far? Equally worrying are the signs uh, and the, si uh, the signs I mentioned in the previous question that the United States is headed down a century um, our present social order cannot manage. To be clear, this is not a short-term process. It will take decades. The breakdown of judicial and electoral legitimacy, the rampant violence against trans people, and the rising austerity of a capitalist order that simply cannot no longer deliver the goods all point to the uh, all point to changes in the social uh, in the social order on a scale like that of Reconstruction. With such conditions on the horizon, DSA needs to learn how to keep this of what is great in us while learning to become a party of uncompromising opposition to reaction and identify its human cause as a social order under, uh, undergirded by a slaveholder's constitution that has outlived its moment. Um, if I have any time left, I guess I will uh, make that a little more. Uh, I guess I will agree with a lot of what Grace said, a lot of what Laura said. We need to learn to be closer with legislators. Um, it's great to have leverage over them. Oh. Cool. Um, ben, just so you know, you're breaking up a tiny bit. For me, none of it was like illegible. Um, like I got everything, but just a heads up um, in case it becomes more of a problem. Um, and with that, we have Tefa. Floor is yours. Yeah. Um, I think that one of the biggest problems I'm finding across the DSA all places is that people think that all of a sudden because you're unelected or because you're a leader you no longer need to continue to organize your peers or that you no longer need to organize within the organization and that needs to that's false it's false to have to say that 
Julia Salazar like has to know how she has to do things. Like the cadre is supposed to organize themselves to wield the power for the legislative body to like move towards where the cadre wants them to. So I do think it is hypocritical to say, oh, we gain membership and vision from members of Congress now that we never like really went hardcore nationwide for, we did in New York. And all of a sudden they make a decision and they need to be ousted. That is kind of self-inflictive conflict and self-destructive to us. What we need to do is figure out how to talk and continue to organize within the power that we're gaining. People are afraid of the power they're gaining and they think, oh, because you don't do as I say, then you suck. And no, what sucks is the people behind the Democratic Party and the Republican Party that are doing everything for profit. Those are our enemies. Our common enemy is figure out, no, we don't have the power to say take your money away from the military right now because we barely have none of the people that are in Congress right now are actually a cadre member. So we need to really think about what our expectations are from the work that we're bringing in. So we need to build buy-in with the people that we're putting in positions of power. We need to create balance between the vibes of like the things that we want to have and the scientific means that it takes to build that power. We cannot just be a wish list, we need to be building power across our people. And that power, what you're talking about, Laura, is not Bernie, it's not AOC. It's the fact that people are tired of being exploited. And that is the messaging that we need to bring forward. And that's what we do. That's the opportunity in electoral work. We get to talk to everyday people about everyday issues where they are being exploited. There are a ton of opportunities to reach people we would not reach otherwise. And that is why the electoral project is important. As we are building character of how to take power of economics and leadership and responsibility. And responsibility doesn't mean always being right. Responsibility be, it means in the leadership part to be able to say, hey, this is how that shouldn't have gone. And in the leadership part to say, oh, I understand that, let's move forward. Otherwise, the power continues to be in the hand of the capital and the capital statement, the capital state that is managing everything and is continuing to pull us apart and make this of workers against workers rather than workers against the for-profit exploitative means of the capitalist imperialist system that we live in. And so that that is that is what we, we where we are at with this. Um, we need to build a labor movement and a labor strategy and our candidates do need to be more working class and more labor, but that is for us to take responsibility over. It's not for us to put on somebody else. Awesome. Um, and last up for this round, we have Philip. Um, well, I agree with what people have said that we have a lot to be proud of in terms of the steps forward and gains we've made in the last period. But I do think there are major problems developing and we're heading in the wrong direction in the last uh, the last bit. Um, and I, I really agree with what Laura said earlier about the contrast between the sort of boldness and audacity that Bernie Sanders showed and put um, in the, the, the strengths of his campaign of putting forward a, a proud socialist message and AOC when she first ran. And I think we're, and that edge has been, um, the trend has been moving in the opposite direction the last period where we're seeing a low or hardly any socialist profile 
being more and more seen. So um, our, uh, our representatives, our candidates running as progressives, not as socialists. And the comments from AOC, I think is quite symptomatic of her no, you know, no longer having a confrontational approach towards the Democratic Party leadership. And obviously, you know, there's prob it's, it is more of a challenge to, hold, to, um, to deal with electeds in Congress, but it's not just on a congressional level. In New York City, which I think is the most developed, I have tremendous respect for the, the work in New York that New York DSA has done, the most developed, uh, strongest electoral work, and where I think there is some real progress in building a connection between the electeds and the organization. But still in New York, there have been real challenges with the, I don't have time here to get into it, but from my understanding, the whole controversy around the non-endorsement of David Alexis by the two other DSA members in the state Senate, um, how Julius Salazar sponsored a bill on introducing private funding into, into the New York public housing against DSA policy. Um, and I think this points to, we do need a, a, a more, more clarity in, a, uh, in our electoral policy towards having a party-like electoral strategy of running candidates who will represent DSA, who will champion our politics and be accountable to the democratic decisions and policies of DSA. Okay. And that's why I strongly support you know, the resolution that my caucus, Reform and Revolution and Marxist Unity Group put forward uh, towards a party-like electoral strategy, which uh, for the national convention, and it tries to recognize at this stage the large majority of DSA endorsed candidates are not currently playing the role as a DSA representative. And we're not gonna just automatically change that overnight by passing a resolution. So, but it, what it tries to do is it, try, it keeps in place our existing endorsement policy, but also creates a new category of endorsements um, of DSA representatives where we try to bring more distinction between endorsements of left-wing or socialist candidates who are not prepared to represent DSA and establishing that when we want to signal our support for them, we want people to vote for them, we could even campaign for them, but also establishing clear guidelines for what it means to represent DSA, um, which I hope in the discussion will come up more, but, um, and try to encourage chapters um, and the national organization to promote and recruit DSA members who will run to be clear cut representatives who will be accountable to our organization. Awesome. Thank you, everyone. Um, just double checking really quickly. Ben, uh, are you, I know you're having a tech switch over. Are you? Uh, I, I'm, I'm on a both now. <laughs> oh, you are having crazy echo, I think. Yeah. Can, can you just raise up the other perfect computer? Uh, I'm going to knock you to the end of the list for this one so we can figure that out. Um, apologies, everyone. Um, okay, so we are going to start with Tefa then. Tefa, are you all good? Ben, you should mute. You're having crazy background echo. <laughs> Sorry, Omi. <laughs> um, okay, getting us back on track. Um, Tefa, the floor is yours. Uh, can you restate the question? Oh, yes. Apologies. I actually didn't. Think you did it for the panel. That totally threw me off. Good. So thank you for getting me back on track. Um, so the question is, what should be DSA's relationship to the Democratic Party and to broad coalitions in the progressive movement? Yeah, um, this is such an interesting and important question. I think, I mean, to me, at this point in time, it really does have to do with money. 
uh, our organization just passed the budget that has us a million and a half in the red. Um, we have to have money to be able to run races. Uh, money is necessary to like build power because we need to build things. And so I think that like for me, the fact is that the Democratic Party is not really like our friend. It isn't. I think that everyone in like I hope most members understand that the Democratic is a tool that we use under the current circumstances to be able to wheel and build power and win. No, you, we don't want to be the Green Party that runs candidates and loses and loses and loses and doesn't know how to build power. We want to be a powerful socialist movement. We want to be able to say to people, yes, we can wield power for socialist means. And that means that we're organizing working class folks, right? Like, we are having direct conversations with working class folks and we're uplifting them and we are uplifting them to help them build this organization and to give them the tools to become the organizers and the representatives in the organization. And I think that an important part of coalition building is that there are people that coalitions reach that per se, we're never going to be able to reach before they do because of their backgrounds, whether it is immigrant backgrounds, whether it is fear of police, whether it is, there is like this specific thing that is called trust. And there are coalition partners that have been longstanding in areas that we have never been at that have built that trust. And that's why we work with them. Because we, we know as organizers that trust is at the center of us being able to move together and build and wheel. And that goes even back to when we talk about electoral work, right? Um, if we don't build trust with our electeds, we can wield their power. They, the moment that we start treating people like they're not humans, but they're chess pieces, we're not going to get anywhere. And so to me, the relationship to the Democratic Party is, it is a tool that we're using because this country sucks and doesn't have any other way for us to right now wield our power in a meaningful way. And we use it in relationship to coalitions so that we can reach as many people and the people of the base that we actually want this organization to be, which is working class multiracial. And that's why it is important. We, we need capital, we need people, and we need power. And you gotta get the right tools for the right adventures. And so socialism is a hardcore adventure and it requires all of those. Awesome. Thank you, Tafa. Um, okay, next up we have Laura. Uh, I agree that the Democratic Party ballot line is a tool, uh, but I think we might disagree on a tool towards what? Um, it's, it's a tool because parties in the United States are unlike parties um, elsewhere in the world where you do not have to have fealty to any donor or uh, platform or anything uh, in the Democratic Party, you can just use it tactically, which is great. And we should use the Democratic Party ballot line tactically when necessary. And it is going to be necessary, especially the larger the race, like um, the more national the race. For the time being, that's probably going to be necessary. But um, we should also seek out nonpartisan races to avoid uh, any interaction with the Democratic Party. And in the meantime, what we need to be doing is building political organization that is independent of the capitalist class. 
And until we are well positioned to create a real political party, we need to act as a proto party or party surrogate organization, but not indefinitely. We have to understand that that will eventually come to an end. We cannot uh, just be in coalition with the Democratic Party uh, or we're not ever in, in coalition with the Democratic Party, but we we need to not uh, appear to be part of the Democratic Party forever. We need to have a time sometime in the future. It's hard to tell when when we will be completely independent, even in a legalistic party sense. Um, and so we need to maximize the, the propagandistic and movement building impact of our electoral campaigns. That's part of why we use the, the Democratic Party ballot line tactically. Um, but we should not ever see ourselves as organizing internally within the Democratic Party or prioritizing relationships between our organization or our candidates and the Democratic Party apparatus. Um, our only engagement there should be in service of working class independence. One minute. Um, and of course, DSA should have a prominent role in progressive discourse to raise our arguments as open socialists and aim to convince people over time. Uh, and we should work alongside leftists and liberals and other fellow travelers where our political goals overlap. But we shouldn't view already politicized liberals, meaning the current like democratic primary electorate as the primary audience for our propaganda and mobilization. We need to expand the electorate to the not yet politicized layer of the working class and we need to differentiate ourselves from both the right wing and liberals because the lack of a socialist um, banner for people to flock to as an alternative to uh, just the liberals and the right wing is what has created such a strong far right uh, here in the United States and across the world. Well, thank you, Laura. Um, ben, I think your technical issues are all Resolved-ish. They're as good as they're going to be. Uh, okay, uh, we'll take okay. it. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, was someone talking? Uh, okay, uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to start. You guys can hear me, right? Okay, I'm going to start now. Okay, on the Dems, I'll be quick. Uh, our relationship should be hostile. Notice I have not mentioned ballot line, discipline, or caucuses. These are really important questions, and I have opinions about them, but they are not the basic strategic question. What is the basic strategic question, then? The question is, uh, to paraphrase Lenin, when Democrats fight for democracy, we fight with them. That will not be possible until it becomes generally recognized that we do not live in a democracy. We don't have to hyperbolize the immediate threat of Trump to see that in 2000, we already saw a presidential election stolen by the judiciary. Under an imperial presidency and an unelected judiciary, zealously guarded by reaction, our first political task as socialists and Marxists is to raise the democratic question. Um, but we must raise it to a, the proper pitch, an uncompromisingly revolutionary one. This means even, uh, even while we guard the few democratic rights we have, we have to oppose the economism and Lasallianism that says all people care about is the immediate material gains. People do care about being able to control their own lives. Um, and hopefully, as we succeed at doing this and raising the constitutional question, we will uh, we will have more allies uh, than we do today. Um, and on that question of co coalition, my uh, and now that brings us to the question of coalition, which again, my answer is pretty simple. We should engage allies in joint struggles so long as we retain full freedom of criticism. 
fill that out. I want to describe, uh, fill out what that means and why we care about it. I want to talk about a certain problem I've had when trying to discuss coalitions publicly. Um, when you are in like leadership role or even just on a campaign, coalition questions come up all the time. Um, and debating them has this challenge that comes with it, a, a certain paradox if you are pretty skeptical of coalitions. There are three different ways to be involved in the coalitions. Uh, first, you're outside and you're first you're outside of the campaign and critical of the coalition. Um, but know some things because you have friends in it. Um, One minute. It, oh, uh, if you criticize it, you're an ideas guy if you're on the outside. Second, you can be an internal critic, critic on the leadership of the campaign, in which case you run the real risk of pissing off coalition partners and uh, and uh, and hurting the loyalty and hurting the morale of the other folks in the campaign. Uh, which creates extremely difficult uh, mixed emotions of uh, mixed loyalties. Um, and the third is when you're just a low-level member. And one of the things, what we've been better than a lot of organizations, but one thing we have not done enough is bring those lower-level members enough information so they can understand the coalitional questions involved. Um, doing this will make it ex much more difficult. Uh, having that open critical stance makes it much more difficult to build coalitions, but we have to do it because for the uh, for all, all those categories I just mentioned, it becomes very hard to express why coalitions are bad in a concrete, specific way. So all we're sort of left with is all the good things they've done. And they do do good things. I don't want to undermine that. Um, yeah. Um, and I think last up, someone please yell at me if I'm forgetting someone. We have Philip. I'm going to drop the question in the chat again for you. I haven't spoken on this, so I think we... Oh, I totally spaced Grace. No worries. Philip, you haven't spoken though, right? No. Okay, then I don't think I'm fucking up the order, but either way, we're going to go with that. So I should go ahead. Um, I'm going to focus in... A lot, people, there's been a lot of discussion around the Democratic Party. I thought I'm going to focus in a little bit of the question of like, what's our relationship to progressives and the progressive movement? Um, and I think, because I think... That's a, that's a really pressing uh, challenge facing us right now. I would advocate, I think we need uh, to use sort of a united front approach, um, which, and avoid sort of two twin dangers. One is a, um, just sort of elevate, seeing we have different socialists and progressives are not the same. We have all our criticisms of progressives and we refuse to work together. I think that would be a sectarian, um, uh, self-marginalizing, uh, serious mistake. And I think we should collaborate with progressives on all the issues we have agreement on, wherever it would be represent a step forward, the issues that progressives are raising. But I think at the same time, what I think DSA is too often doing is sort of liquidating uh, and collapsing into the existing progressive coalitions and not maintaining a clear socialist identity as uh, working with them, but maintaining a clear socialist identity. And too often, I think we lose that socialist identity. So to bring this on to the electoral politics. I think we can collaborate and um, and work together with progressives, but we as socialists should run uh, with uh, openly with a clear identity and brand as a socialist and, and try it. And we want the media and we want the public and we want low information voters to recognize our candidates as socialists, not progressives. Um, and I think that that's true regardless of the ballot line. And even more, like, so it's even more important to stress that we have a socialist profile if we're running on the Democratic Party ballot line. 
it's less necessary to stress that if you're running on a socialist ballot line, if you're running on the Democratic Party ballot line, it's all the more important to really make sure in your public facing material that comes through loud and clear that you're not, you're, you're different, you're a socialist. I think another critical thing is to form our own democratic socialist caucuses in all the legislative bodies where we have multiple electeds um, and where we vote as a block, we hold common events, uh, messaging, promote a common socialist message. That socialist democratic socialist caucus can collaborate with the with progressive caucuses, can say the socialist and progressive caucus both have this bill that we're supporting, okay. but that it be clear that there's a, it's not just progressives, that there's a socialist identity and I think we also sort of politically and ideologically amongst the, there's a lot of left wing moving workers and young people who are in the orbit, both the progressives and socialists. I think we need to try to politically win them to a socialist understanding. That means having open discussion and debate within the base of those movements and DSA being an active part of that and agitating and propagandizing that there's differences between socialism and progressivism. That, that as a socialist standpoint, we see the working class as that a central force not just all the people against the elite, um, that we are anti-capitalist versus trying to reform capitalism into being a more tame, humane system that progressives push for, and that we see the main engine of change of building mass struggle and working class movements from below. I think those are basic things we need to propagate and, and build more of an understanding around. Cool. Um, and next up on this question, we have Grace, and I'm going to drop the question in the chat one more time. Thanks, Annie. So I think I'm hearing broad agreement on the panel that we should continue to use the Democratic ballot line, uh, and I, I think for as long as it's a useful tool for us in, in these races. Uh, just to put some parameters on this, I really think we should only win races where we legitimately believe we can win. Running races for any other reason is a drain on resources and really demoralizing to organizers. Um, Laura already talked about how the structure of the primary system allows us to use the democratic label to, to talk about socialist politics. And I just want to reiterate that the purpose of running as a Democrat is to use the label to get into office and gain power and work towards our goals, not to make the Democratic Party more socialist, like one elected at a time. And when we're talking about how our already elected officials should relate to the de their Democratic colleagues, we I think we need to keep two things in mind. One is that in order to grow our movement and make people's lives better, we actually need to win things and deliver things to people. And two, uh, socialists are an extremely small minority of any legislator they're, legislature they're a part of. Since one is a necessity and two is a reality, our electeds and the broader org have to organize capital D Democrats in a legislature. Organizing Democratic colleagues doesn't mean that a DSA elected is being captured by the machine. It literally means they're doing their job. We've referenced Bernie a lot. He does this. He gets things passed. He's not always openly antagonistic to every one of his Democratic colleagues, but he also uses his platform to talk about anti-capitalism. Um, to talk about the idea of our own ballot line, I'll say quickly this couldn't be appealing in some ways, but I think it would lead us to losing in the vast, vast majority of cases. Uh, we need thousands of votes to win, mostly from people who identify as Democrats. And then going to the climate in 2024, 
I think most left-leaning people will view us as adversarial if we're trying to do a third-party thing. Also, running as a party can be extremely logistically difficult and require us to make political compromises we don't want to make. In New York, WFP is basically forced to campaign for Kathy Hochul in order to maintain their party status, and I don't think DSA wants to do that. On the progressive movement question, I'm running out of time here, but Generally, I and SMC believe that DSA should deliberate and determine our own political goals internally and then build the biggest possible coalition to make that happen. When our goals align with the goals of other organizations on the broader left, I think it's really foolish to forego the opportunity to increase our power through partnership out of some sense of ideological purity. Thank you so much, everyone. Um, we really appreciate everyone's thoughts on this. Um, so for the next section, um, we are going to be moving into open discussion where we are inviting audience members to participate in the conversation. Um, we have about half an hour for it and everyone is going to get two minutes to speak. Um, because we need to be tight with time, um, you are probably going to get cut off at two minutes. It's not because we don't really value your opinion and want to hear from you. It's just because we need to let move on and let other folks speak. Um, if you would like to hop on Stack, I think it's pretty full already, um, but you're welcome to type Stack into the chat and we'll try to put you on if possible. Um, and then after that, we'll move on to closing remarks from our panelists. Um, with that, my stack takers, can you message me who I'm calling on first? Oh, and I should add um, for stack, um, if you're called on, we are going to unmute you and have you say your piece for two minutes. Um, first up on stack, we have Tejin Sa. Someone is on unmuting duty, right? I am I muted? Oh, Tay, is that you? Yeah. Yep. All right. So just um, as the two minutes starts now, I would like to say thank you, panelists, for your time and thank you, everyone, for attending this event. Um, we, um, it was amazing to hear from all the panelists from other different caucuses. As someone from the Red Labor Caucus, someone that believes that we need a clean break now, um, I don't see the question of where are the most militant labor organizers, where are the most militant anti-imperialist, anti-racists going? Because as you mentioned, there is a drop in membership applications, right? Ever since the kind of rise in 2016 from 2020. But there's always this kind of pre-notion that they're gonna come back to us, that they're gonna come back to the DSA. But from my experience talking to these militant organizers, they already see DSA as reformist, as someone that's entrenched in the Democratic Party, even though that may not be the truth. But if we don't break now, if we don't have a clean break as soon as possible, this sort of image, this sort of entrenchment is going to get worse. And I think that just in general, we should have a clean break as soon as possible. Without it, I think we'll be losing the momentum that we built from 2016 to 2020 and all the hard work we've done. I think it's not an illogical decision. It's not a rash decision. But the only kind of logical and only nuanced decision to take, which is a clean break now and now or never, right? I think it's a little too late, but it's better late than never. And I think we should have a clean break now as we head into the convention in 2023, not later, but now. Thank you. 
Great, thank you. Um, next up we have Corbin. Can someone unmute Corbin? Uh, hello. Um, my question is mostly, I guess, for those who do support uh, a harder split with the uh, Democratic Party. And uh, it's given that most of the DSA's membership, excuse me, doesn't actively participate in decision making. Um, you know, most DSA members are inactive. There's I, at least I think there might be a potential risk of an exodus of these more inactive members. Should the DSA pursue an independent, like working class party? And how do the panelists think the DSA should cope with the potential negative financial repercussions of a split with the Democratic Party in a pursuit of you know, independent party politics? Thank you, Corbin. Um, next up on stack, we have Kent. Okay, can you all hear me okay? Hello? Yep. Yep, we can all hear All right, I'm sorry about that. Okay. Um, you know, uh, I think Laura said something that was pretty incredible about if our electoral strategy unfortunately repels working people and uh, militant trade unions. Well, I, I want to just raise, raise a, another question. And I'm from Red Labor, by the way. We're out here in Idaho. I don't know. Yeah, Idaho is a different place, different animal, right? But, uh, you know, when I think of uh, the foundations of an organization, I would think that the decisions we make now and the influences that we have now upon us or the influences we have on other people, you know, that's going to ripple into the future. It's going uh, to have repercussions. And I wonder if the organization, by not being independent of the Democratic Party, repels mil militant workers right now. Unfortunately, in our DSA here in Boise, we found that we have class enemies on our goddamn rosters. We have the same trade union bureaucrats that purged some of our members supporting the DSA, literally donating money to the DSA at one time being dues-paying members. We have literal <laughs> Democratic Party bureaucrats that are still in the DSA that you know, militant trade unionists that are forming rank-and-file caucuses here in Idaho and multiple trade unions are not safe in DSA meetings. They have to watch what they say on the minutes. That's an interesting situation that I think is worth talking about. And again, that's why pragmatically, this ain't purity politics. I'm for a clean break. And I think hopefully all of us are any of the day. Cool. Thank you, Kent. Um, next up on stack, we have Myra. Yeah, I, I just wanted to like sort of ask about the phrase build power because it kind of reminds me of a particular criticism of like sort of second international Marxism where it is just like uh, essentially it had a strategy of sort of uh, had like a strategy of building up like the strength of like 
its parties to a point where it would be able to take like sort of like state power, that kind of thing, and like actually is do socialism. And I'm wondering, like that that kind of criticism is like generally is aimed at like how and when do you like know that you have enough power and enough support to actually like do socialism and like overthrow the bourgeois state and that kind of thing. And my question would be similar. How do we know when we have enough power to actually do anything with it? Um, you know, to, to all the people that repeat that kind of slogan. Okay, that's that's it for me. Thank you, Myra. Um, next up on stack, we have Damon. I didn't get the, it just came on. Okay. When you allowed me to have audio, I didn't see that thing, but I'm here now. Um, well, first of all, I'm an old red. I've been uh, involved in the, in the communist movement, the, the socialist movement. I've been a Marxist and a revolutionary most of my adult life, which goes back 50 years. And I was in the process of putting something on the chat because I was going to have to leave. But I just wanted to say how excited I am and people like myself are to see you all out there doing what you're doing, but also taking up the mantle of Marxism, which Engels referred to as the science of society. And what I was saying in the chat is that even though numerically you may not feel like you you represent a large group, what we're talking about is how whenever you introduce a quantity of a new quality into a process, it changes everything. And if somebody would have said, well, when the White Wright brothers flew at Kitty Hawk, someday that would lead to a billion dollar airline industry, they would have said you were crazy. And so uh, uh, my hat is off to y'all. Uh, Please keep on doing what you're doing. I'm in the Detroit DSA, and I will continue to do what I'm doing, but I also support the resolutions from um, Marxist Unity Group, from the uh, Reform and Revolution, and all the things that you folks are talking about. There's a saying that you have to exhaust all legal means, and that's where we have to continue to be. And one last thing, I did put a bunch of this stuff on the chat. So if you get a chance to look at it, please check it out. Thank you very much. Keep on keeping on. Thank you, Damon. Um, okay, next up on chat, we have Rui. No, no, it's um, it's off. Oh, sorry, I think I misread that. Um, yeah, it's Austin. Austin, you with us? Sorry, I'm trying to find Austin. I don't see an Austin. Austin is red labor. I see the Zoom. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yep. Go ahead, Austin. Okay. Apologies. I uh, logged in and <laughs> couldn't change my name, but. Um, I wanted to say that, you know, when I came into the DSA, um, you know, I didn't come from any connection to, you know, the political class. I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have family members that were political. Um, you know, I grew up working class and it was Bernie that coincided with me leaving high school. 
and, you know, figuring out what I was going to do for a job, how I was going to pay for school. So for me, socialism has always been a matter of survival, you know, and I, and I take it really seriously. And upon getting into the DSA here in Boise, you know, I kind of realized like, and this was right when red labor was being formed, like I kind of realized the distinction and, you know, that what's going on in the DSA is that you have a lot of people that kind of sound the same, you know, and you have a lot of people talking about the need for an independent working class party, a pro party wing and labor, um, you know, for the masses to follow, um, you know, the most advanced sections into a revolutionary struggle, a confrontation with the state, all this stuff. But there's always an if, and, or a but for most people, for most caucuses. And I, and I couldn't get over that, you know, and I had a hard time recruiting workers too, because there was that sort of like disconnection. And the reason I believe in a clean break is because yes, there's organizational questions that will have to be answered. Yes. It's going to be a struggle. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but it certainly will become simpler. We will not have to ask these kinds of questions about why we are being betrayed at every point from the union bureaucracy to the progressives in Congress, right? Betraying the socialist movement and the working class like the railroad workers recently. If we had our class independence now, if we had it, and I'm in, I'm in the trade unions, I'm an airline worker right now. And when I fight against the union bureaucracy and I tie that to the broader question of class independence and the electoral strategy of the DSA, I do talk about the need to fight the uh, bureaucracy right now. And I do talk about the need to form an independent party right now. And there's no magical words in the English language that can possibly convince a worker about the idea for class independence, but not yet. Thank you, Austin. You are at time. Um, and next up, I believe we do have Rui. Everyone, I'm Rui, a member of R&R here in Boston and kind of Austin. Um, you know, I think the discussion here was very productive. I'm really glad that the comrades from SMC and TEFA were able to come on and, you know, have some actual disagreement. And I'm going to, you know, kind of stoke a bit of a fire in here. You know, the resolutions that R&R and MUG has put forward, I think, are in some sense oppositional to the what I expect to be the consensus NEC strategy, right? Which is to say, you know, we will continue to run uh, people and we will look for races that are, you know, extremely viable. And we don't need to have these conditions, you know, these purity tests, as they're called, um, calling yourself a democratic socialist in the messaging and, you know, forming a socialist in office committee and caucusing with fellow members um, immediately, right, and separating yourself from the rest of the Democratic colleagues. Um, and, and with that being said, I guess my question is, you know, are we going to continue what is essentially the same strategy with a few adjustments uh, that got us into this situation from 2021? Or are we going to take concrete steps to move away from that to, I think, delineate between people we endorse, people who we uh, like, but, you know, they are not DSA representatives. They're not going to represent our politics uh, and those who will, who we expect to have higher standards and expectations. So I guess what I'm trying to motivate here is that when convention comes, this will be the discussion and this will be the debate. And we will need to win these uh, towards a party like strategy, uh, these other sort of more militant strategies for our electoral work. And I see no other way to go about it. it. It really is, in my opinion, it has to be this way or we will continue down the road we're on. And I don't think we want to do that. Thanks.
Thank you. Um, next up we have, um, I think I'm gonna butcher your last name, um, Stephen or Stefan Kimmerl or Kimmerl? Yeah, hello, I hope you can hear me. <laughs> Stefan, <laughs> Seattle, Kihim, and I'm a member of the Reform and Revolution Caucus. I think people join DSA because they wanna fight for socialism, they wanna live in the socialist society. They're fed up with capitalism, racism, sexism, and so on. And then we say, yeah, electoral politics, why not to promote our ideas, to use this platform and so on. And then we end up with a huge focus on electoral campaigns, training the Democrats without a clear democratic socialist message, neither before the election and even worse after the elections, if you look at our DSA members in Congress. Congress. I think that's disappointing. That's undermining our project. This is not building working class power and a struggle for democratic socialist society. And then the question is put often in black and white, yeah, but are you in favor or are you against electoral campaigns? Let me put this a bit black and white to all the panelists. I, do you think this is going well? Are we using election campaigns and our elected officials in the interest of building the socialist movement, the labor movement, community campaigns? Are we using them to build DSA? Tefa mentioned that this is about building also trust with the elected officials and so on. Look, I'm here in DSA to fight imperialism and my organization does talk about trust. But when Chairman Bowman votes for $1 billion to further arm the far, far right regime in Israel, and let's also say AOC abstains at that vote, then I think there's something fundamentally wrong and we need to speak out about it to build accountability. I think it's not about building trust in elected officials vote to ban a strike, the railway worker strike, then I believe it's time for us to defend the integrity of our organization and organize the pressure on those elected officials. That's there also where I feel like when Trace talks about organizing Democrats as part of the job of elected officials, but what's the priority? Do we... Do uh, so Stefan, I'm sorry, you are at time. Um, but thank you for your comment. And we are going to move up to Alex RG. So am I coming through? Good. Can y'all loud and clear? Hear me? Okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So sorry. Uh, so one thing um, that I haven't uh, um, seen specifically uh, pointed out so far is that uh, within the discussion of oh, so what about the discipline? Oh, what about uh, uh, the whole thing of uh, Jamal Bowman voting for um, Iron Dome for um, AOC and almost all of the squad voting to break the railroad strike um even um all of the discussion of us working working um us working us within the democrats and us working with our the political candidates that all gets traced back to the fact that we are in at a as we are trying to operate within a completely alien um organization from ourselves uh um something that i kind of want to put out clearly and plainly um, uh, that we need to um, organize us within the Democratic Party or um, um, or something like that, because nominally we don't have control over our members us uh, within the party. So they can um, uh, they have more of a specific um, alignment and more of a specific tie to to the party that actively has them there within the first place. 
and um i will put something that i have have uh um have experienced too is that uh, too is that's within uh, the ibew as well well um talking to all these people we are ostensibly seen as just democrats that happen to wear the color red and i've talked to um, uh, some very progressive people uh, that are that kind of bucket the idea of us because we are not going far enough because there is no delineation uh, between us and the people that we are supposedly fighting against. Thank you for your time. Finished. Thank you. Good timing, Alex. Um, next up, we have Nick and I K. There's a couple of Nicks on this uh, stack. Nick, you with us? Yep, I'm here. Thanks. So um wanted to thank everybody for your contributions. I think this is the key issue. There's obviously a lot of important issues within DSA, but this is the one that kind of gets to the center of our strategies. And so it's really important for us to talk about. I'm wondering um, here whether there's there's any sort of strategy or change in our orientation that panelists think we should be adopting. I note that MUG and R&R have their, um, the resolution winning the battle for democracy with members of MUG and R&R. I helped develop a platform amendment that updates a lot of the references to legislation, um, which are a little outdated now, and also gets the key issues like ending judicial supremacy and winning reforms, con constitutional reforms or um, legal battles, even as we move to new constitutional order. Um, so I'd recommend that people sign on to that. I can send you a copy of that, uh, that amendment if you need it. Um, and so, you know, broader, broader question here is how do we navigate our relationships with fundamentally different and less democratic organizations like the Working Families Party, while still sustaining the kind of non-electoral organizing projects that have also been key to the uh, fights for abortion rights, um, self-defense over the course of the last half decade? And what um, should we learn from the, the mixed success of legislative and electoral efforts across the country? That's Thank it. You. We are going to move on to the next person. Um, and that is Zeth. Zeth, we got you. Just, I think you have the wrong uh, person. Oh yeah, you, I think added yeah. Z, Zeth, Z. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. One moment. Hi, can you hear me now? Great. Uh, my name is Zeth Rourke. I'm a member of the Red Labor Caucus. I'm a airport worker with the Communication Workers of America, uh, 
non-binary, a Latin second generation immigrant. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great discussions happening here today at this panel about party building and what direction we have to take in order to build power. I think the strongest thing or the strongest point we have as socialists is to identify our enemy. You know, under a capitalist society, we are engaged in constant class war, whether or not someone is conscious of it, right? In every category of one's life, we experience the boot of capital crushing us. I became a socialist through my lived experience. You know, living in poverty will do that to you. I hear a lot of talk during this panel about building power. And, well, I suppose I'd want to raise a question. Building power for who? When we organize within the Democratic Party, you know, all this great work done by working class Americans in order to support their interests, right? We donate a right to them. The Democratic Party gets stronger. We, we fix their optics for them. The optics of the enemy, a capitalist party, who time and time again, we have seen even despite our best efforts, you know, electing so-called socialists into Congress. They continue to crush the working class under their heel. And what does that say to the working class when we as a supposedly socialist organization continue to harm the working class? If you want to support a truly independent working class party, sign to the Red Labor Caucus uh, resolution. Support the clean break. Thank you. Cool, thank you, Zeth. Um, we have time for a few more um, folks to speak. Next up, we have Paul G. Hello, comrades. Can you hear me? Um, my question is about my local context. Um, I'm from New Hampshire, which has a lot of local state reps. We have the largest um, state legislature. Uh, well, we have a, an enormous state legislature with a lot of state reps. I know some of them. We have like three or four electeds. And we have a lot of people who represent more of a quote unquote old DSA electoral position, um, maybe representative of what used to be more common around like 2016. A lot of um, Bernie people, a lot of um, people very closely working with the Democratic Party. Um, there's a certain nonprofit that's extremely dominant in the state that basically does all the left organizing. And my question is, for those of a partyist persuasion, for those of us who um, want a break from the Democrats, it, like in my area, there's a zillion small races that are relatively cheap. So it's easy for um, people arguing for liquidation to do liquidation things. But my question is, what what do I do about that? What's a talking point that I can use against that situation that's perhaps a bit different than, for example, the comrades in New York City, but with a similar problem? Cool, thank you, comrade. Um... Next up, we have Diana. Can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Hey, my name is Diana. I am uh, in the Queens branch of New York City DSA. 
Uh, I'm an immigrant from Ecuador, um, a granddaughter of a trade unionist and daughter of a communist. And I did want to sort of say, introduce myself in this way, because I think I'm in the minority here to say that I do disagree with a clean break. I think I'm, <laughs> I'm a little bit um, in awe of folks' optimism to think that we are at a place where we could actually transition to uh, a party. Yeah, I, I feel like we're actually in such an early stages as an organization itself uh, of building internal structures, of thinking about how we develop our members, that I, I think it would be a mistake to uh, break from what, unfortunately, a, a mass of, of, of working people do see as like um, the alternative to the right, even though I, I do think that a lot of working people do see the Democrats as, as, I mean, and I do too, right, as an imperialist capitalist party, I do think that the majority of, or the way that a lot of people come to DSA is because it's kind of, it, it has, it's it's the largest socialist organization that has some sort of elevated presence in national politics. And I think that that's, people see that as a connection to power and it, and it is powerful. And I'll speak as someone who has, is represented by three DSA electeds. Like the, 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 the privilege that I feel that I have to be represented by electeds that are socialist. I don't give a shit that they put a D behind their names. They fight for me and, and they receive death threats because of it, right? Um, the way that my council member, Tiffany Gavon has received death threats because of her abolitionist stance in, in the New York City Council. Um, I would like for us to consider continuing to struggle within our organization to improve the internal structures of DSA. I, I really, I that Deanna, we are at time, I'm sorry. That was good. Thank Thanks, you. Okay, last up on Stack, and then um, apologies to folks who got on Stack and um, were not able to get on. Um, we had a ton of folks, and we want to give our panelists time to make closing remarks. Um, so last up on Stack for open discussion is going to be, oh gosh, I lost my tab, um, Nick Woodfin. Can you hear me? All good. Yes. Um, hi, everyone. Yeah. Um, I would like to ask and sort of pause it. What 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 does it mean exactly to meet people where they are? Because I know through my personal history, I was pushed sort of by friends and stuff, the kind of out of where I was to get to the socialist sort of answer. But also um, I'm an international committee organizer. I've been looking at sort of the situation abroad. Uh, I look at the situation domestically. Things have been rapidly declining. We have fascism rising. Um, you know, people can't afford to eat. Uh, you know, even a lot of sort of social democratic programs, like you look at somewhere like Canada, tend to um, rely on imperialism specifically. Uh, like Canada owns most of the mines of Burkina Faso, for example. Uh, and so with these things, you know, with when you have people like Richie Floyd trying his hardest on the electoral level uh, to like fight for abortion in Florida, you know, what, what, what exactly does it mean to meet people where they are? Is that, is, 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 
how do you push forward in that and how do we scale that? Well, thank you, Nick. Um, thank you everyone who's contributed to this discussion. Um, as I said before, we are at time and want our panelists to have time to speak. Um, so we are not going to be able to finish the stack, though we appreciate the number of people who've wanted to speak um, and welcome you to uh, include your comments in the chat. Um, so our kind of closing remark prompt and panelists can also, um, we know time is a little tight, but take a moment to respond to any questions that really stuck out to you. Um, but our main prompt is DSA's national convention is going to be this August, uh, 4th through 6th. It's the organization's highest decision-making body where elected delegates from across DSA meet to make democratic decisions on DSA's priorities for the next two years. How should the summer's convention be used to improve DSA's electoral work? Um, first up, we are going to have Grace. Grace, are you ready? Yes. Um, awesome. All right. I'll actually start with the convention question and then come back to some some closing closing thoughts I had. Um, so for the convention broadly, SMC is still in the middle of its process. I see Mug and RNR and DNR have their stuff already, but we're we're still working at at um at our resolutions. But we're definitely going to have a resolution just recommitting DSA to defending against the right and fascism, particularly as it relates to abortion rights, LGBTQ plus, and specifically trans rights, and protecting small D democracy. Sorry, I'm losing my voice, as you can hear. Um, I think the moral imperative of this work is self-evident, and hopefully we all agree on that. Um, but it's also really strategic for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, one is if the right is successful in these fascist attempts, um, makes the political terrain much harder for us. Also, being involved in these fights makes us more visible and able to engage people on a topical issue from a socialist perspective. Uh, this work, I'll just highlight, will necessarily be in coalition. Uh, there's lots of groups working on this, including in many places like the Democrats as a party are sort of the bulwark against this happening. And I'm not here to say they've done a good job by any means up to this point, but I do think in many states, um, fighting for these rights means fighting alongside the Democrats in many circumstances. Um, I will just call it that I think working coalition means organizing through conflict and pushing our partners where appropriate, but I don't think we should be openly hostile to uh, partners that we're actively working with. I think that's kind of antisocial and weird. So I'm not totally sure exactly what Ben meant when he was saying like, we should hold space for criticism or, or something like that. Maybe th that has a formal definition, but I think it's reasonable for like our partners not to have us, to expect us not to openly critique them when we're working together actively. Um, but the big thing I want to emphasize in this discussion is um, that we need to increase our skill and ability to organize elected officials. In the U.S., a party is a party because they organize their members to act in concert. It's not because they have a tiered endorsement system and a myriad of litmus tests. Um, we need to be more organized than the Democrats or the Republicans, and generally we need to treat elected officials like they need to be organized and supported, just like any comrade, frankly. 
Um, we have to be cautious of being overly regulatory and punitive in our approach um, so that we can we, we, we can be aware of conditions on the ground and really try organizing the alternative time. Um, can I just have like 10 more seconds just to wrap up? Sorry. Yeah. Uh, great. Okay. Um, basically, I just want to say that I want to improve and iterate on the SIO model in New York. This to me is a proto-party strategy. And I think organizing should be the core of how we move forward. Thank you, Grace. Um, timekeepers, I think it's another right now. If you want to add 10 seconds for everyone else, since we gave Grace an additional 10 seconds, um, I think that would make sense. Um, and we have just enough time for it. Um, next up, we have Philip. Thanks. Um, well, I think this was a really valuable um, exchange. I wanted, to, I mean, in, in terms of the National Convention, just briefly, I would definitely promote people look at, uh, read, consider discussing your chapter, sign on to the resolutions that uh, Reform and Revolution and Marxist Unity Group are putting forward. Two are very directly on electoral strategy. But I wanted to come back more and just sort of, I think a running theme of the discussion was, I think, very different theories of change about what is the role, how do, what is the role of socialists in electoral politics and when we're elected? Um, and how do we actually change society? Um, you know, I think the point was raised that when we have socialist electeds that I really disagree with the idea that socialist electeds job is to organize uh, their other legislators. Um, as their as their colleagues, I think we have to. Uh, I think the key engine of change is not. I support standing in elections, but not because I think we can uh, have much power in legislative bodies. I think the key is to use those legislative bodies when we have elected with a platform uh, where we're, where we have the where we have a certain profile and audience amongst working class people. And the most important thing is to use that platform to educate agitate and organize working class people outside the legislature to bring pressure to bear on the capitalist class, on big business, and on those um, uh, uh, legislative uh, institutions. I mean, the same thing, I think it re relates to the point was made earlier that the majority of voters that was talking about New York identify as Democrats or wouldn't necessarily identify as a socialist. I, that's true, absolutely. But what is the purpose of our electoral work? I think the purpose is to promote our socialist politics. And we are a minority right now, but we, elections are a valuable tool to get out and talk to voters and working class people and talk to them about our socialist politics, educate them, organize them and build more support. Let's build towards a majority, not just accept the uh, our current minority status and then just try to try to nap, try to change society. We're not gonna, have much power if we're in a minority. And we need to use elections to talk about our politics, openly recruit to DSA, openly build movements, and openly educate people and build more support for socialism. Um, and I think that's, I would just, the other point that's related to is I don't agree that we should only run candidates who have a good chance of winning. I think we can run candidates, we should run strong, credible, credible campaigns that we can use to promote socialist politics, promote DSA, promote movement building, and we come out of it with, with a more organized base, with more support. And I'll, you know, I'll take, look at the examples, Bernie Sanders lost in 2016 and 2020. His campaign was a great, far bigger success than lots of winning campaigns. Um, Cori Bush lost her first election um, and then uh, won the second time. So 
The final thing I would say, so it's a question of how to use the election. Is my litmus test, do you win or not? Do you use it to build socialist consciousness? Do you use it to recruit and build our organizations? Um, I will stop there. Well, thank you, Phil. Um, and next up we have Tefa. Well, I, you know, think that there are a lot of false narratives that get sent out sometimes, and it just really bothers me that we haven't experienced something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I think that that is like, as organizers, we really need to catch ourselves. Um, I think that one of the strengths of this organization is that it's multi-tendency and multi-prong approach. And I don't think that anyone has said electoral or nothing or labor or nothing. Like that's, and that's what makes us powerful. And that is what I'm saying when I say building power, right? Like we're building power with people through structures, um, through a multi-prong approach and a multi-tendency organization. And, and that power is being built to be shared with people that have been kept in the dark for far too long and that cannot participate because they have multiple jobs a day because they have families to feed, right? Um, electoral efforts are broad. They're not just SIOs. I think we emphasize SIOs too much at the times. Ballot measures are electoral uh, efforts. Running elections in a union, that's an electoral effort. Um, so I think that we also need to like expand our minds and open ourselves up. I do think that Laura talked about accountability and accountability is important across ourselves and the people that we're organizing and all the people that are running all of these campaigns. Ben talked about discipline. It's extremely important for us to do anything with discipline. Like if we don't have discipline, we're not gonna get anywhere. Um, Grace talked about uh, delivering. Yes, we do need to deliver. We are against a hundred years of fighting against socialist programs in a capitalist society that has been industrialized. It is hard work and fill it Talk about something that is really important. That is, how do we draw the line? How can we work with people but maintain our personality? I am from Colombia. I am an immigrant. And I find it kind of condescending when people are like, why are we not doing any more for the international struggle? I believe in self-determination. And every time I've had conversations with people from across the world, they ask me to work on ending imperialism here, not for them there. And so um, you... I want to address what is building power. How do we know when to how to uh, how how to wheel it in a state power? Well, we have proven that we don't have the wheel power because there were uprisings in the last decade, and none of us in this room were able to lead them towards any sort of breakup from the capitalist system. And people were militant and on the streets. So I think that a lot of the times we have to think: Am I just organizing to get? my agenda forward or my group's agenda forward or am i organizing between convention people to bring to convention and take a step back and for them to take a step forward um conventions are where we make decisions but the organizing happens every day like it doesn't happen in convention convention we come together and talk about what is going on and try to figure it out together but it should not be the only wheel of power that we're looking for. Actually, it should be in the last of wheeling of power because what we should be doing is to out-organize ourselves from these positions so that the people that we so much talk about Time. can actually take it. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I'm really grateful for everyone here and I am uh, looking forward to 
you know, socialism is the future next week, and then our convention to continue this conversation. Awesome. Thank you, Tafa. Um, next up, we have Laura. And I'm going to drop the question in the chat again. I think the NPC needs to take a stronger role in the political decisions at a national level around our electoral strategy, but currently they're not able to do so because the NPC has been disempowered by a bureaucratic layer of top level staff structures. Um, and so it's hard for our elected uh, members at, at, the top, at the highest level to actually carry out our political program. And uh, it's also hard for them to do so because there's a dominant view uh, within the NPC that we should not expect electeds to antagonize uh, centrists because we need to fight the right and pass ameliorative reforms. So in order to address both those problems, I would strongly encourage people to sign on to the Bread and Roses uh, proposals. There's two of them. One is to have a full-time uh, co-chairs of DSA who would be elected by the convention, so these are paid full-time, they can spend their time carrying out the political work of the organization, and then also the resolution called Defend Democracy Through Political Independence. I'll put those in the chat. I wanted to respond to a thought that was very important, really demonstrate some disagreement here. So there's this idea that electeds uh, don't do the work for us, right? Power comes from the people, and I certainly agree with that. I don't believe in substitutionalism. Um, I don't believe we elect people and, you know, they should get it done or they suck, but they do have a unique role to play. Politicians have a platform, elections are a unique opportunity, and elected office is a unique opportunity. We need our elected officials coordinating a community presence on picket lines, directing people to join DSA and other mass organizations, helping constituents form unions, using legislative floors to force votes on politically clarifying issues or forcing capitalists to testify, appearing regularly in mainstream media to raise class consciousness, and putting forward an alternative to neoliberalism that differentiates socialism from just progressivism. So, uh, in the the example of the rail strike, you know, I don't expect AOC or Jamal Bowman themselves to have stopped Biden's betrayal of rail workers. Certainly not. That would be ridiculous. But I do expect any socialist in office to say with complete clarity that that was a betrayal of the labor movement and that Democrats are not friends of labor, but socialists always will be. So why do we do this? Why do we risk pissing off uh, Democratic voters whose donations we might need for campaigns, as Tefa alluded to? Um, well, fortunately, most Democratic voters are sympathetic to the criticism of Joe Biden and Democratic leadership. And certainly, if we expand the electorate, not yet politicized voters, uh, whether or not they identify as Democrats, will also be sympathetic to those ideas because people intuitively understand that there is a group of rich elites who don't care about them and that you're and you're screwed if people in power sympathize with them. So working people, especially the most advanced layer of shop floor leaders in the labor movement, want champions who tell the truth about those in power. And if they see socialists as those champions, then we can grow our movement and we don't need to rely on um, passing basic reforms, which we can't do anyway because we don't have positions uh, in office. Thank you. Um, and last up, we have Ben. Uh, so during my spiel across all three sections, I talked really, really fast about a lot of theory because there's like a lot of thinking we put into this. Um, 
but I didn't really get a chance to talk through some of like how to do this. Uh, one thing I wanted to respond to from Grace, I guess, for um, is like, uh, wait, are you really saying like we should be really mean to ex coalition partner in the middle of a campaign? Um, wouldn't that like profoundly damage the relationship? And they've done a bunch of really good work for us. We really want to betray them like that. And the answer is like, no, I don't want to betray them. And no, if that's not the agreement we've come to, then like, that's not something I can do. <laughs> but also, yeah, uh, I do think we need to, like, in order for us to be a democratic organization, in order for us to have robust conversations, in order for us to be able to work through the strategic questions of our day, I think we need to be able to talk with a really high level of specificity about like what is happening in the moment. And that requires, and that's going to make coalitions harder. It doesn't make them impossible. Um, I don't have like a perfect answer for how to do it right this second. Um, like I said, this is like a bigger picture question. Um, and on that bigger picture question, I want to jump to in a place where like I am more specific. Um, I want to respond to some of the things that I heard, not just from Red Labor, from a, from a bunch of people. Um, which I think have sort of consolidated around the clean break question. But I think what they're talking about is something that I can sit like, which is not something I necessarily agree with. But what they're talking about, I think, is really, really important. It's something I've heard not just from labor organizers, but from tenant organizers and BDS organizers, which is that our electoral work has provided a real impediment to our organizing work in other domains. Um, and that part of the, and that it, that has like had, real significant impacts on our ability to organize across domains. And then in order to resolve that, we need to set basic boundaries. We don't necessarily need to like, uh, they, these don't need to necessarily be robots from the uh, Third International, but they can be people who hold to basic principles. Um, and as a result, it becomes much easier to have these uh, conversations openly. Um, the last thing, uh, the la uh, and uh, the reason I would relate, the way I'd relate that to clean break, and why I talk about hostility to the Democratic Party, is that I don't think it, like, I think we're already a party. I think the question is just acting like one. Um, if we go up there every day and say, fuck Democrats, uh, if we go up every day there and say, this is a betrayal, then we've already become a party. We're an independent organization, which is why what I hope comes out of convention are things that allow things, allow people uh, allow people like the comrade in New Hampshire to develop independent organization, which is exactly what we did here in New York, and I wish is what I want to see everywhere. Cool. Thank you, everyone. Um, that is the end of our discussion. Um, I want to thank, first of all, all of our panelists for coming and having an amazing discussion. We really, really appreciate all five of you taking the time. Um, second of all, I want to thank all of our attendees um, for joining us, for contributing to the discussion, um, and for listening and learning. Um, a couple last kind of housekeeping announcement pieces for folks. Um, so the video for this will be on YouTube shortly um, if you want to send it to friends or refer back to it. Um, this event was put on by Marxist Unity Group and Reform and Revolution Caucus. Um, and we have some resolutions that we'd love for folks to take a look at and potentially sign on to, which have been and I think will be again shared in the chat. We also will have another panel coming up on May 20th, which you can RV RSVP for again in the chat. Um, and last thing, Marxist Unity Group is fundraising for convention. Um, and if you liked what you heard from our speakers on the panel, you are welcome to donate at the link again in the chat. 
Um, of course, our panelists come from all kinds of different corners of DSA, and we do want to really quickly open up the floor. Do any of our panelists have like stuff you want to plug? Um, some folks did in their closing remarks. You can just like raise your hand quickly and I'll call on you. Um, not... Oh, no worries. I meant physically. I was just looking at the videos, but you can get it, Kepa. Yeah, I just really wanted to plug in the GNDCC resolution for the National uh, Railroad Workers for people to take a look at it. And I also want people to know that the there is this new version of Winter Conference that is happening. So we used to have YDSA Winter Conference. Now it's Socialism is the Future, Electoral Labor, and YDSA. And it's coming up next week. And you should stay tuned uh, for like the 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 findings and and the coming steps that might come from that. Awesome. Um, any other panelists want to hop on really quick? Seeing no one raise their hands, um, I'm gonna go ahead and let people go. Thank you again so much for coming. Um, and we really hope we'll see everyone on May 20th at our event, A Vision for Social for DSA 2023 to 2028 on the road to socialism. Um, and with that, I hope everyone has a great Saturday. Thank you, Annie. Thanks all. Thanks, y'all. Yeah, Thanks you did a good Thanks to everyone for your Saturday afternoon time.